Welcome to a Kessler Foundation Spinal Cord Injury Grand Rounds podcast featuring Isa McClure, PT, MAPT. Isa is an advanced clinical specialist at Kessler Institute for Rehabilitation. She will be presenting Introduction to the Skin Step e-learning module. Under the leadership of Ms. McClure, the Rehabilitation Standards Committee of the American Spinal Injury Association has created a new e-learning module, SkinStep, which addresses the prevention and treatment of pressure injuries in people with spinal cord injury. The module focuses on an interdisciplinary approach to this challenging issue. An introduction to the module and its contents will be presented. This presentation was recorded and produced by Joan Banks-Smith, multimedia producer at Kessler Foundation. This presentation was recorded on Wednesday, February 22, 2017 at their Kessler Institute for Rehabilitation Main Conference Center, West Orange, New Jersey, and was hosted by the Northern New Jersey Spinal Cord Injury System, which is supported by a grant from the National Institute on Disability, Independent Living, and Rehabilitation Research, NIDLA grant number 90SI5026. Nidler is a center within the Administration for Community Living, Department of Health and Human Services. So I want to talk a little bit about not just skin step, but the opportunity of e-learning in general. Um, we have our own little bit of an e-learning program upstairs, thanks to Barb and Lauren, with some of the modules that we have online on the S-Drive upstairs with transfers and mat mobilities. So this is just um, one more step in the whole e-learning line. So really the history of e-learning goes back to the 1990s in LA, of course, because we're all things media related come from Los Angeles. And it was really meant to give people an opportunity to learn something regardless and really independent of place and time. So this is sort of the fourth in what they call the, the grand evolution of education. The first was um, the invention of reading and writing. Then there was the, the second one was the um, development of the profession of teacher-scholar. And then, of course, well, before that was really, you know, the movable type in the press, and then the teacher-scholar. And then, really, electronic learning. And modern electronic learning really started in Great Britain in the 1940s with Sir Isaac Pittman. I'm sure if we've ever seen old movies, you see the idea of, oh, I took a correspondence course to learn X. Well, that was the very first step in e-learning. And it's really sort of developed on the work of B.F. Skinner. So I have Rosetta Stone at home, okay? I used it once, never used it again, so I failed the operant conditioning part of this. But when you get an answer right, what happens? You get ding, 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 and it's supposed to motivate you to, to carry on and to keep going. I couldn't roll my R's for the Italian course, so I kept getting the eh, so I stopped. So it was just too much for me. But this really kind of made its heightened um, sort of awareness right during World War II, because in World War II, there was a rapid need for education. There was a rapid recruitment of both men and women out of the home, out of the workplace, into more technological fields, and that's where the development of the educational films really started. And I'm totally dating myself here, but I'm hoping a few of you remember, like, Back when I was really little in kindergarten, there were the old educational films with Dick Van Dyke, The Learn Not to Burn, and that was also a very early form of e-learning. So there's four types of e-learning. There's the individualized, self-paced, 
you learning online which is i'm going to go look something up on the internet then there's the individualized self-paced e-learning offline which is like the old cd roms then there's the synchronous e-learning which would be your webinar where it's kind of working with an instructor and you have that immediate response that teacher input immediately and then the asynchronous e-learning which is sort of i'm going to look at this later on the asynchronous e-learning which is what this actual website is going to be really is going to rely on the learner to take the ownership and the responsibility to actually do it to get something out of it to learn the material and then to ask questions when needed so the history of Asia and e-learning. So Asia, and, and I'm sure most of you know, I'm very actively involved in American Spinal Injury Association. Um, their first form of education came out in like 1982 when they did the, um, the booklet on the international standards. It was then called the Asia Standards. And then they realized as time went on and technology went on and how to reach a wider audience, they created the Asia Learning Center. The very first module in the Asia Learning Center was uh, INSTEP, which was the International Standards and Classification of Spinal Cord Injury, followed by ASTEP, which was the Autonomic Standards, SPAS, uh, WE-STEP, which was the Pediatric Standards, and SPAS-STEP, which is the Spasticity Standards. Now, with WE-STEP, which is really all of those pediatric considerations for the International Standards exam, um, it is actually much like INSTEP, it's free. So it was a, uh, a grant that was underwritten by the Nielsen Foundation. And as we, you know, for now and for the foreseeable future, both INSTEP and WESTEP will be for free. Unless you want a certificate and then you gotta pay $25 for it. ASTEP and SPASTEP are currently, I believe, $45. And um, right now I'm in the process of writing a grant to underwrite the cost for one year for skin steps, so it's free for anybody who wants to come on. So all of Asia's um, courses, they're self-paced, they're multimedia modules, they get the assessment, a course completion certificate, as well as, you know, we want your feedback because your feedback is actually listed and stored in a server so that when these modules are updated on a yearly basis, those comments and feedback are taken into account, and a lot of times we actually use them when they're trying to update um, the different modules and to kind of develop these courses to reach a wider audience because, I mean, look at everybody in this room. You guys are amazing. And we really need that kind of feedback where someone like Kat can look at a module and go, well, you know, I would have done it like this. And we take that feedback into account because it's so important. Everybody has a different viewpoint. So the original Asia Learning Center was founded by the Asubio Pharmaceuticals, Novartis, Hollister, Medtronic, the Rick Hansen Institute up in Canada, Accorda Therapeutic, um, and the Magnificent Seven. The Magnificent Seven were the first seven presidents of Asia, and they went and they founded this whole learning site. As you can see with this slide, the number of people from 2013 to 2016 who went on, remember the spinal cord communities were a small, tiny little community. And the fact that almost 5,000 people went on to this learning site to learn the standards, I think is pretty impressive. The next slide, you'll see the quarterly report from fourth quarter 2016. <laughs> but I really don't want to go any further on this before we sort of really acknowledge the people that kind of helped put this course together. So if you look, on the very top is 
a list of, of, of clinicians. Now, the cool thing is there are a ton of Kessler people on this. But the majority are Kessler people, right? Because I got to pick the faculty for this course we put on. And, and who do we pick? We pick the experts that we know. And it was really nice. We have a lot of Kessler people involved in this. And what we did first was we wanted to kind of gauge the interest level. So we made a course. We made a three or four day course, it was a long, long week. And we had eight hour courses the entire time of this um, Asia meeting. It was that in San Antonio. And we gauged the interest and we had a lot of interest. So we took that level of interest, we saved everybody's presentation on my hard drive, and we said, I think it's time to make an e-learning site on things like skin and the importance of keeping your skin clean and intact for, for not just for future research and future development and for future you know, growth and change and strengthening, but really to, to maintain your life. So they said to me, so, so Issa, we want you to do this. And I said, okay, great, how do you do it? And I said, you guys give me the money, right? And they said, no, you have to write a grant. And I go, okay, I don't know how to do that. They're like, oh, it's okay, just send us your LOI. And I'm like, fantastic, well, what does that mean? I don't know what an LOI is. Turns out that was your letter of intent. <laughs> but this was kind of like my phase when I found out that I had to do the grant writing because I had never written a grant before. And I found out the best part of wanting to learn something is Google. You can learn how to do anything on Google. So I Googled, how do you write a grant? And that's how we wrote the grant. Um, and I'm very proud to say we raised $130,000 to complete this module. And it could not have been done without Patty Duncan, who's the executive director of Asia, who um, really kind of proofread my grants and helped me writing them and taught me what I needed to know that I couldn't learn on Google. And if it wasn't for her and really kind of being the driving force behind Asia, this wouldn't have happened. So thank you to Patty. So this particular module, we got grants. Like I said, we raised almost $130,000 from the PBA, from the Alan T. Brown Foundation, from the Nielsen Foundation, from Permobile, and from Allergan. There was one grant that I totally wanted because it was from Macy's, but it wasn't like the department store Macy's. It was some guy named Josiah Macy, so it lost interest after I learned out it wasn't from the department store. <laughs> but when we looked at it, we said, okay, well, how do we really want to organize the, the module itself? And we kind of looked at it and we said, well, my thought on it was, let's go from the most severe, the most complex intervention to the least complex intervention. And I was totally said, no, don't do that. Go from the basics all the way to the most complex. So that's kind of how we did it. Um, the introduction, which I'm going to be showing you guys this afternoon, was something was a little bit of an afterthought. We get assigned everybody to the different professions and then realized that we didn't have any kind of an introduction. So most of you remember Mar uh, Marissa Malady. So she and I went to McLoon's and wrote the introduction there. And it was, it was a good night, but we got a lot done. But this was really supposed to be designed as a very discipline-specific e-learning course. So you can go on and do any part of the course that you want to do, but you have to do the introduction first because the introduction is going to tell you what are pressure injuries, what are the margins, what are you looking for, how do you measure it. And then we go into discipline specifics. So if you're a PT and you just want to do the PT section, that's all you have to do. 
If you're an OT and you just want to know what Mary, Shay, and Gabriella wrote, you just go on OT after you do the introduction. If you are really an overachiever and want to do the entire course, you can absolutely do that. And like I said, you get a certificate at the end. So we're going to go on to the actual site now. We're not going to make you guys kind of go through the whole thing, but I want to do, I do want to highlight a few um, key areas. The funny thing is this was supposed to be done last year, but at last year's Asia meeting, the NPUAP, during our meeting, decided they're going to change everything, all of the classifications, all of the terminology. So we actually had to go back and rewrite the entire module because they changed every single thing that we had already done. So that was a nice little surprise. So like I said, this is just really the introduction. Um, Okay, so um, we're not going to, like I said, we're just going to kind of go through a few key things because the nice thing about this is it's going to be interactive. You're going to be able to hit different things and kind of look and say, okay, well, I want to know what this is and, and kind of see the exact definitions. We made sure for the, the idea of coming back for CEUs throughout the entire module, all of the bibliographies are five years old or less because especially with New Jersey it's very important that they're doing that so I don't is there a volume oh I do okay so sorry that's the next thing I'm writing so I have to actually write the proposal for the APTA so which I've also not ever done so because I'm not a member but um, I, I think I'm just going to go and get my membership now. <laughs> Online training for the understanding, treatment, and prevention yeah. of pressure injuries. This course series is presented by the American Spinal Injury Association. This is the first module, Introduction to Pressure Injuries. It's an actor we hired. I went for Lonnie. I really, if you guys remember Lonnie Stewart, I really wanted Lonnie to do it, but he wasn't in Chicago. So it was like a bummer because I would have been like, you know, the voice of Horizon and this. But, um, okay, so you can see how we laid out the course. This is boring. Let's see. Then we have our objectives. And each section has its own set of special objectives, um, which is why if you're a medical student or um, a surgery resident, you might not particularly care about nursing and nutrition, but you might care about the others. So like I said, we wanted to make it interactive. So we know that the pathophysiology of all pressure injuries is really fourfold, right? It's pressure, shear, moisture, and friction. So you can go on each one of the little buttons and learn about pressure. And there is, there is voice, I promise. Yeah. Oh, there we go. Soft tissues. It is formally defined by the NPUA, the force per unit area exerted perpendicular to the plane of interest. So, I'm not going to force you to listen to every single thing, but, and then same thing with shear, talking about shear. One of the reasons I'm really pretty adamant that I want this to be really underwritten for a year is because I think something like this, especially for our patients, is so important because we say things like shear, 
I don't think it means anything to anybody. But if you show them what it actually is, and then you actually show the picture of what can happen to your skin, I think it's a much more impactful statement. Person creates a superficial, easily reversed injury that can heal quickly if the cause is removed. It is formally defined by the NPUAP as the resistance to motion in a parallel direction relative to the common boundary of two surfaces. Damage to the skin occurs at the epidermal dermal interface okay. and is often. So I think we got the most that we're going to get out of that. Now that we've reviewed. We specifically also wanted to go into the topic of avoidable versus unavoidable because it's a very clear delineation by CMS, as, as our friends on the wheelchair team know. Like CMS really wants, they, they are very specific when they're looking at these injuries. Was this an avoidable? Was this an unavoidable? Because back when I first started a thousand years ago, I, I came into it like, no one should ever get them. This is terrible. You should never get it. People do their jobs. Okay, we've all kind of mellowed, but we also know that that's not true. We know that sometimes people get them despite the best of our intentions, the best of our care, and sometimes bad things can happen to good people, and that includes pressure injuries. So we were very clear on using the different predictors, like the Braden scale. I'm just gonna kind of go through everything. And how interface pressure mapping tells a story. One of the things that I specifically had written into this, into the script was, if you're interested in interface pressure mapping, please go to OT. Because, you know, Mary Shea wrote that. Mary Shea and Gabriella Siebel wrote that section. There's nothing that I could have put in there that would have been anywhere close to what they did. Um, let's see. And then we also have the sites. We did have to file for permission from every single organization on the planet in order to use these. And that was definitely a learning experience for me, too, because I was just like, can't we just say, hey, thanks for letting me use? No, it's like a whole legal form which I didn't know, but now I do. And it's, it was a really interesting um, time. <laughs> and MPUAP was great. They let us use this particular slide. Now, MPUAP, they're the ones who changed the name from pressure ulcer to pressure injury, right? But they didn't change any of their stuff that says pressure ulcer. So when you talk about like the hospital acquired pressure ulcers, remember what we call them always hapus, right? So we're, I, I call them and I'm like, all joking aside, are we gonna now call them hobbies? And they didn't think that was funny, but I actually didn't mean for it to be funny. I was, I was dead serious because if we're going to kind of change the terminology, then I think you have to change all the terminology. They, they don't particularly agree right now, but that's okay. Um, and then we went into when our patients come in, and I don't think it matters if they're spinal cord patients, brain injury patients, stroke patients, or even, um, general rehab and ortho patients. You know, on the operating room table, we actually go into, on this, on this module, what is an operating table made out of? And the number of people who get pressure injuries from the actual OR table itself. So that was also interesting. And then, let's see. That's the aspects of the OR table. And like, there's, there's like the whole thing, but I just kind of want to introduce you to everything. And then we go through the stages, because what are we finding out? We are getting denied reimbursement because people are not staging these injuries correctly. All right? 
Remember when the stages changed, they went from the, Ar the Roman numerals to Arabic numerals. If you use a Roman numeral in one place and then document it as an Arabic numeral in another place, what happens? It's a new pressure ulcer, pressure injury. So you caused that, so who's responsible for it now? So we're very, you know, it was very clear and specific on how we did that. And, and I know a lot of people don't particularly like the pictures, but um, I really do think that it, uh, one picture is worth a thousand words. And especially for our patients who when we say, your skin is going to break down, it will fall apart. Do they actually understand what that means? Well, if we kind of show, we click on a stage four, they might. With the actual terminology, what makes a stage four? We're also very specific for documentation purposes that you cannot backstage a pressure injury because once you backstage it, you have created a new pressure injury. So it's really any way to deny payment. Um, but deep tissue injury, which is very difficult, you remember, all the terminology changed, so it's no longer uh, an SDTI, a suspected deep tissue injury. They got rid of DTI completely, and that was a plain old deep tissue injury. And we made sure that we had very obvious pictures so that someone would be able to look at it and say, okay, that's exactly what I should be looking for. Stage two, which is really like a blister. Stage three, and then the unstageable. Okay, then... We went through the different characteristics, like the sinus tracts, the tunneling, and the undermine. If anybody wants to see something, I just want to go through it. But if you want to see it, we can always click on it. Just remember, I don't hear well, so you have to shout really loud. Um, and how to assess it. Because if we're not assessing it correctly, how do we know we're having any difference or any impactful, meaningful difference on the development of the wound itself, right? talking about the margins and what to do in each of these in each of these cases because they are on different parts of the body what do we do with that wound that's irregular how do we deal with those wound margins how about the ones that are calloused and like i said there's there's a whole bunch of verbiage that comes with this as well so don't sorry that i'm not playing it for you but what are we really doing for these things and how do we best treat them not just as a pt not just as an ot not just as a nurse, but as an entire team, what are we supposed to do about these? How do we assess the peri wound and looking at the peri wound skin? And I know for those of you who've actually done like the high vault, we spend a lot of time together on that peri wound itself to kind of look at it and say, tell you what, I don't think this is going to close. I don't know what's going on here. And you know what? I think there's some cellulitis on this area as well. So we kind of look at it very deeply to kind of really create a concrete plan to sort of attack this problem. Okay, and then looking at the wound bed itself. Uh, I, I know Michelle and I have looked at wounds together and we kind of look at them and go, wow, this looks great, looks like a nice piece of sirloin steak or ooh, this doesn't look so good, it looks like a piece of veal, I wish it looked a little healthier. But we're looking at the assessment of the wound bed itself because we need to look at it and say, are we going to have a meaningful impact on this? Now remember, when we do wound care on any of the floors, we might not actually be looking to resolve the wound. It might not even be possible on our end to actually close that up and resolve the area. But what might we be able to do? 
we actually might be able to create the most optimal healing environment for a flap. Because the percentage of flaps that fail every year is actually rising. Um, different types of drainage. Um, we, we did not put what they smell like, so don't worry about that. It's not the bad part. Um, and how to actually create a comprehensive wound management program. We thought that, that these were all important topics for this particular um, introduction itself. Let's see. And then we have a test. Every test um, is part of a greater test. And like I said, the only way to get your course completion certificate is you have to do every single module itself. Um, but I hated those teachers in school who made the tests just to trick you. It just drove me bananas because if you want me to know the material, I'll know it. But if you want to like play with my head, don't bother. So I, I wanted the questions to be very straightforward. And I wanted, you, I wanted them to provoke some thought. And I wanted them to really make people kind of sit down and consider what was going on. But it wasn't like, is it A? Is it A and B? Is it A and B but not C on those alternate Thursdays? I just wanted it very straightforward because I hated tests like that. And let's see. And then we have a summary to kind of really wrap the entire course together. And as you can see, like that very last um, square with all of the different, the nine different topics that are in there, in the module itself, that was something that you would actually go on to learn about normalized blood values the effects of different antibiotics on the skin. And we made sure that that was all comprehensive, but like I said, I didn't really think anybody wanted to sit here and kind of go through it, because I know everybody's tired and wants to go home. And these are the acknowledgments. Um, I really do have to thank Dr. Uh, Bram Kaufman, who is from Metro Health in Cleveland. Um, he's a plastic surgeon there, and he gave me, uh, for, and for people who actually sit next to me in the, in the office, you know the pictures that he's given me. But he's really just been super supportive and super helpful with the different pictures and releases and everything. So he's been great. So let me just bring this screen down. This module is actually set to go live in April. Um, we are cleaning up a few, uh, few loose ends. And it's funny, no matter how much you look at something, there's always like one typo somewhere that someone catches like once it's already gone for publication. But um, we really, when we did our beta testing, we really kind of wanted to integrate everybody who worked on it. We wanted to integrate those comments because, you know, not, there's not one person who knows everything. And, and even from an idea of layout, it was really important to get other viewpoints because, I mean, I'm a pretty concrete thinker. And I think a lot of a lot of PTs are sometimes OTs with everything that OT gets to do on adapting things might be a little, might be a little bit more creative, most certainly more creative than me. But um, it was really important to kind of collect that feedback, and whatever feedback we didn't use, like I said, it's being kept on a server because when this has to be updated in two years, we're going to have those comments that we can then integrate into a new module. And I didn't want to kind of really do anything without talking about Dr. Fern Pomerantz, who was the medical director over at Helen Hayes, who was on our rehab standards committee, who passed away in December. And I still get upset when I think about it. And Barb knew her very well. And this wouldn't have been done without her. But that's it. So thanks. 
For more information about rehabilitation research at Kessler Foundation, go to www.kesslerfoundation.org. That's www.kesslerfoundation.org.